Good morning, church. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. We're going to be in the book of Luke this morning. I got my fancy water bottle holder here, so I'll go with that. Um, so Luke is, if you're looking for it, it's the third book of the New Testament. It's the third gospel right after Matthew and Mark and before John, and we are going to be in chapter one this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to take a moment and say, uh, like I just said, that, uh, man, we are just blessed to be a church that is full of children. That is not true of every church. It's not necessarily always true, had been true of our church. It might not be true of our church in the future. I don't know. But right now, I know that we are blessed to be a church that is full of children. Uh, there's times when we gather uh, each week that our, almost a third of our gathering is kids fifth grade and under, which is really amazing. It's an incredible blessing, and it also means that with everything we do as a church, kids just can't be an afterthought. Jesus prioritized children in his ministry, and we are called to do the same. And we are very blessed to have many people who spend uh, a lot of their time pouring into children's ministry in our church. So this morning, I just wanted to uh, take a minute and recognize those who do that. So if you have served in children's ministry in our church this past year, whether that is through um, Awana or Foundations or on Sunday morning or any other way, would you just please stand so that we can recognize and also just so that we can see what it takes uh, to do children's ministry at our church. Would you stand and remain standing? You can go ahead and have a seat. There's a lot of people that aren't standing because they are doing children's ministry right now. And I know that there's always a need for more uh, to do the work and spread the work out among us. And so if that's something that you're interested in, please talk to Liz. I know that she would love to get you plugged in. Well, sermon series for today and Christmas Eve Eve service and Christmas morning is called The First Christmas Songs. We're going to look at three wonderful hymns in the first two chapters of Luke. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the Magnificat, Mary's Song of Praise. And then on Christmas Eve, Eve, we're going to look at Zechariah's hymn. And on Christmas morning, we're going to read about Simeon's hymn as he held Jesus in his arms in the temple. So this morning, we're talking about Mary's Magnificat. Uh, Before we do that, let's pray. Please bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father God, um, you are so, so good to us, and we praise you. We thank you. Thank you for the blessing of children uh, in this church body, in this church family, Lord. And um, we pray for those kids, Lord. I pray, uh, pray that they would grow up to know you, to love you with their whole hearts, God, uh, to do uh, great things for you, and... Um, and to seek after you with everything, God. So I pray uh, for the children's ministry here at Rock Prairie, Lord, that for those that you would bless those who spend their uh, precious time uh, uh, discipling these kids, Lord. And uh, we thank you for every single person who's a part of that, God. Thank you for the chance to celebrate Christmas as a church family. What a blessing that is, God, uh, to be in this room this morning as a family and worshiping you. So we just pray uh, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what you want us to see this morning. Help me, give me strength uh, as I preach, and we just ask um, that you would come and um, do a mighty work in this place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, it has been um, quite the week in the Napsiger household. You can maybe kind of tell by looking at me or listening to me. I'm not at 100%. Uh, I'm going to just give you a little recap. I've never experienced a week quite like we've had in our house. Uh, on Wednesday, so on Monday, I, went, I had my yearly checkup at the doctor, and I, everything was great. It was just a random appointment, and everything was great, and I would, felt totally fine. And, uh, and then on Wednesday, I started developing a cough, which you are going to hear featured uh, prominently this morning. And also on, I think it was Wednesday, Owen, our son, our five-year-old son, started uh, complaining about pain in, in his mouth, and we thought maybe it was six-year-old molars coming in. And then on Thursday, I, I got an eye infection, and, and it's just gross. I won't go into detail about it. And not only that, but the poison ivy that I had last week that had gone away came roaring back on Thursday. So I have this cough and this eye infection and this poison ivy. And uh, also on Thursday, Owen goes to, to get x-rays and realizes that he has a giant cyst in his mouth. And so we scheduled a surgery for then for him on Friday morning. And thankfully, the Lord worked that out that we could have that surgery. So Friday morning, he gets surgery. And then by Friday afternoon, I have both eyes infected now. And uh, Friday evening, Owen, in his post-operative state, um, remembers a promise that uh, Emily and I made to him uh, last week, which is we said that on Friday, we would pull our mattress out in front of the Christmas tree and we'd all sleep in front of the Christmas tree as a family. And so <laughs> Emily couldn't talk him out of it. And uh, so I was asleep on the bed and Emily comes in and wakes me up and says, we gotta, I'm sorry, we, we got to pull the mattress out. Are you kidding me? So I literally, one eye is glued shut with just like gunk. The other eye I can barely see out of. I'm itching all over the place. And our mattress is like a, it's, a, it's not just a normal mattress. It's like a foam mattress, so it's the heaviest, most unwieldy mattress in the world. So she and I are trying to get it, and we're arguing, to be perfectly frank with you. And, and we get it outside, and, and, and then it gets kind of caught on the couch, and I'm just over it. And so I just give it a big yank right into our Christmas tree, <laughs> which is a real Christmas tree. So now we have needles everywhere, water all over the floor, candy canes and ornaments just littering the floor. Our new dog, which I haven't told you about, we got a new puppy. New dog is freaking out, hides behind Owen. Owen just starts bawling. And Emily and I look at each other, and we just start bust up laughing, because what, what else can you do in that circumstance? So that was Friday night. I wish that was it, but then Saturday, yesterday, all of a sudden, I, my, I, my ear starts to hurt, and by Saturday evening, I'm in the worst pain. This is the worst of all of it, the worst pain. My head feels like it's going to explode, so uh, I uh, texted Dr. David and uh, had him come over. I'm in my office trying to write a stinking sermon, which um, <laughs> has needed to happen all week, and he comes over, and he's like, yeah, you got a pretty nasty ear infection, and so... Uh, thankfully, I got some medicine for that, and the, the pain started to subside, but I'm not joking. We were texting as uh, pastors and, and staff and deacons last night. We were literally this close to having Testimony Sunday this Sunday, and because uh, uh, Pastor Jerry's, like he said, is injured, and, and, uh, and uh, our, our whole staff were just, were just mangled this morning. So anyways, um, that's been our week uh, this week, and uh, on top of all these other things is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the church. That is a 2 Corinthians 11 reference, if any of you got that. Uh, there's just like this pressure, right, of like, 
all this is happening, and we got this big Sunday, and it's Christmas, and I'm just discouraged and frustrated and feeling like a, trying to climb up a mountain of, like, loose rocks where you take a few steps, and then just, like, a thousand rocks just bring you right back to the bottom, right? And uh, just discouraged, and, and really, when it comes down to it, it's just discouraged because, like, I just want to preach my best sermon this week on Christmas, you know, Christmas week, and, and you know what? That's it's just kind of silly, right? It's it's, uh, it's not about me. It's not about preaching a great sermon. Um, Christmas is about Jesus. And more than that, Christmas is a story about God meeting mankind in the most humble circumstances imaginable. And in doing so, in meeting mankind in the humblest of circumstances, he demonstrates his power that much more. And so this, I felt the Lord last night saying to me, like, Mike, I don't want your, quote, best. I want your heart. And I don't know, maybe that's cheesy. Maybe I've watched a couple too many Hallmark Christmas specials, but I don't think it's cheesy. I think it's what the Lord wants all of us to hear. Uh, he doesn't want your best. He wants your heart. So maybe that's what you need to hear this morning. Think about the Apostle Paul, you know, he pleaded with the Lord three times to take away the thorn in his flesh. Right? The Apostle Paul had important ministry to do. So he pleaded with the Lord. And what did God say? My strength is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul said, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. <coughs> Missed it. All right. Sorry about that. That's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to trust God to do that. I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. I'm feeling weak this morning. I'm feeling a little sore, a little itchy, <laughs> and weak. And, uh, but I'm going to trust that God's strength is sufficient for me, and he's going to give us everything we need. And we're going to look at this Christmas story together, and we're going to look at this beautiful song of praise that Mary sings, known as the Magnificat. So I'm excited to do that, and we're just going to trust that the Lord's going to show up. So look with me now at your Bibles. We're going to pick up the story in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. Mary's about to get some life-changing news, to say the least. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, this is some cool crossover if you've been with us for our Daniel uh, sermon series, right? What God sends Gabriel to Daniel to answer prayer, and now we see God uh, sending Gabriel uh, for another task uh, to Mary. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary, you're going to give birth to the Savior of the world. Mary said to the angel, a very reasonable question, how will this be since I am a virgin? 
That's a legitimate question, right? Um, I'm not married. I'm a virgin. Gabriel, not sure if you've heard of the birds and the bees yet, but pregnancy doesn't work like you're describing it to me. How is this going to happen? Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will, called holy, will be called Holy, the Son of God. I love this. This is really cool. I learned this this week in one of my commentaries. This word overshadow says the power of the Most High will overshadow you. It's the same word that's used in Exodus to refer to God's presence coming into the tabernacle. So what Gabriel's saying is, just like God chose to put himself in a particular place in the tabernacle, he's now going to do that in a person, in Mary. The, the commentary said, The divine cloud that guided the Israelites in the wilderness and infused the tabernacle at Sinai completes the drama of salvation by infusing Mary's womb with Jesus, the Son of God. Isn't that cool? I love that. Gabriel isn't finished. There's other good news. He says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. So Gabriel's telling Mary, this isn't the only miracle birth that's happening. One of your older, older extended family members who has been infertile up to this point is now six months pregnant. So look at Mary's response. It's really cool. She says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. That's so cool. She just believes him. And this is really, we see uh, angels coming and, and telling people uh, things all over the Old Testament. Uh, but this kind of just like blind faith is nowhere found in the Old Testament. That same commentary uh, that I refer, referenced earlier sa says this. It says, no one in Israel ever responded to God as does Mary. Mary demands no outside proofs or signs that the impossible shall be made possible. She receives God's word in abandonment and trust. I love that. Mary is great. <laughs> She's this humble teenager, probably, who's told this, frankly, overwhelming news, and she just responds in faith. And then she does what is a, a very natural human reaction, which is she goes and finds Elizabeth to uh, compare pregnancy notes and, and hear and, and just celebrate together, right? And so she goes, and it's like a two- or three-day journey that she takes by herself, and she goes uh, and she celebrates with Elizabeth. And in their excitement, Mary sings this song to the Lord that we're going to look at now. And the question is, why is Mary singing? We see in the song two reasons that Mary is singing, two reasons she's praising God. And the first is just simply that she is in awe of God. She's in awe of God. She says, my soul, verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. What does that mean? What does magnify mean? What does it mean if you magnify something? Make it bigger, right? How can you make an infinite being bigger? You can't, right? Infinity is infinity. It's, that's the biggest, right? But what can you do? You can make him bigger in your heart. That's what Mary's saying. 
You can magnify the Lord in your soul. In, in a sense, this is like our entire philosophy of our worship gatherings as we, when we come together as a, as a church. This is the only thing that I really care about when we come together as a church, is have we magnified the Lord? Have we made God bigger in our hearts? That's what I want. Through singing and prayer and scripture reading and preaching and lighting candles at Christmas time, my only goal each week is for us to walk away having made God bigger in our hearts. Mary goes on, she says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. And that's what I want when we come together. I want us to have a greater sense of our humble estate before God. I want us to have a deeper grasp of our sinfulness apart from a holy God, not just so that we heap guilt upon ourselves, but so that the cool waters of God's grace are that much sweeter and more refreshing to us when we understand just how desperately we are in need and we know how thirsty we are. I don't want us to be flippant about sin and grace. I want us to feel our sin more acutely and repent of that sin so that way we can just pour out those waters of God's grace and mercy. This is why we gather together as a church family so that we can celebrate the gospel together and make God bigger in our hearts and in our lives. Mary says, she goes on, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now she's obviously talking about this very specific blessing, right? Like um, every generation calls Mary blessed because she was given the very unique privilege, one of one, right? I mean, the mother of Jesus, And so Mary's talking about this specific reason why all generations will call her blessed. And yet, the same is true for you in Christ. You have been blessed. God has done great things for you. Verse 50 is true of you. His mercy is, on, is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And so if that's true of you, if you, a wretched sinner apart from Christ, have been given incredible blessings by God, then our goal when we gather should without a doubt be to magnify the Lord, to exalt his name. And not just in our gatherings, but in our lives as well. That must be the goal, to magnify the Lord. And so I just want to ask you this morning... Can you say that about your life? Can you say, along with Mary, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior? Is that the driving desire of your life? Mary sings because she is in awe of God. And if I'm honest... If we're honest, we are not in awe of God as much as we should. And so what's it going to take for you to get closer? 
to magnify the Lord a little bit more this Christmas? What discipline do you need to work on? What relationship do you need to lean into? What, what thing in your life that is taking away from you magnifying the Lord that do you need to cut out? I think it's, a, it's just a great question to ask ourselves. Like, like, just take an inventory of my heart and say, am I magnifying the Lord? Is my spirit truly rejoicing in God, my Savior? And if not, what's it going to take for me to get there? I think if we're honest, there's just something every single one of us can do to grow in that. So Mary sings because she's in awe of God. May we be in awe of God more and more as well by God's grace. That's the first reason that Mary sings. The second reason she sings is that she's excited about God's plan. This, I love this. This is my, I like, I've just kind of missed this about Mary uh, my whole life. She's way cooler than we give her credit for. I don't know about you, when I think about Mary, I picture something like this, right? Like you just like the flowers and the, and the or maybe the, this next one, you see these pictures of Mary, just very peaceful and, and calm, or maybe this next one holding the baby Jesus. Like that's what I kind of think of when I think about Mary, sweet and innocent, round yon virgin, mother and child, right? And uh, Mary was a rebel, <laughs> She was 100% ready for the overthrow of the Roman Empire. She was like ready to go. Look at what she says in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. All right, let's be honest. This sounds like it could come straight from like a Bernie Sanders campaign speech, doesn't it? <laughs> She's a rebel. So why is she talking like this? I think a more accurate picture of Mary is this. This next one. <laughs> Cast down the mighty, send the rich away. That was Mary. Mary recognized what we need to recognize as well. And by the way, she, she's, she's saying all those things in past tense. It's a, it's a technique in Scripture uh, called essentially prophetic past tense, which is where you say something that, is going, that God is going to do in the past tense to show the certainty that God's going to bring it about. So even though she's saying he has, has done these things, what she's, what she's really saying is he is going to do these things. Mary recognized that God was bringing about in his kingdom a complete and total reversal of how everything had been before. The people who think they are in charge of the world are about to experience an epic collapse way worse than the Colts experienced yesterday in the second half. Sorry, I had to. I'm sorry, guys. I had to go there. <laughs> Those who think they're in good standing in the world are going to quickly find out that they very much are not. And those who are in poor standing in the world's eyes, in the world's eyes, are going to quickly find themselves exalted. Those who are prideful in themselves and their accomplishments and their abilities 
are going to find themselves scattered like the people at the Tower of Babel who thought they could reach heaven without God and, were found, and found themselves scattered to the corners of the earth. Those who think they are mighty are going to find their kingdoms ripped away from them, not unlike Belshazzar on the night the handwriting was on the wall in Daniel chapter 5. Remember that? They had that blasphemous feast where they took all the elements from the temple in Jerusalem and used them to worship their false gods. God shows up and says, tonight your kingdom is gone, and he rips it away. Those who think they are rich, who think they can somehow provide for themselves apart from God, are going to be sent away with nothing. Instead, it's going to be the humble who will be exalted. It's the hungry who will be given good things. And Mary is living proof of this. You understand that? Why can Mary say this? It's happening to her. Think about it. And just like... Just be honest, don't say any like names, but like think about the kind of town where you might be tempted to say, like, can anything good come from there? That was Jesus' hometown. He went to that high school, right? And now none of you would do this, but think about the kind of people who, if they showed up at your door, and the woman was nine months pregnant, about to give birth, you'd be tempted to say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Like, I got a family thing going on tonight. No, don't have room. Uh, you can use my shed, I guess, in the back. That was Mary and Joseph. You have this woman named Mary, this teenager, who has tremendous faith and literally nothing else of worth to offer the world. Nothing notable about her, but her faith. And God says, that's the one I'm going to use to change the course of history. Right there. Not a president or a billionaire or a celebrity, a poor Virgin teenage girl from a nowhere town. And you know what, church? He's still doing that kind of thing today. He's working in unexpected ways, in unexpected places, through unexpected people. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Church, I have felt how fragile and itchy my jar of clay is this week. And maybe you have too. And so I'm going to boast in my weakness. I'm going to ask God to use me to display his treasure and show that it's his power and not mine. God doesn't want what you think is your best this Christmas, church. He just wants your heart. And so magnify the Lord and be excited for his plan. Listen to how the Magnificat closes. Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our forefathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. God promised Abraham 
and his offspring, that he would bring a light to the nations. And he has done that in sending Jesus. So rejoice in the gospel. Delight in his mercy. Remember who you are in light of who he is. Humble yourself if you want to be exalted. If you want to be humbled, be prideful. But if you want to be exalted, humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Kill your pride. Put your self-sufficiency to death. Rejoice in your weakness. And as you do that, your soul will magnify the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come to you humbly in weakness and frailty. None of us knowing how many days you've given us on this earth. God, we don't want to waste any of them. Help us to magnify you in our hearts. Help us to make much of you. Help us to rip out the things that are crowding you out in our lives. We want to rejoice in you, God, and be excited for the kingdom that's coming that is so different than any kingdoms of the world. It doesn't come in power or might, but in weakness. But your power is revealed in weakness. So, God, may we boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses. Give glory to Jesus. Praise you in his precious name. Amen.